Welcome to Two SoCal Gals. I'm Alicia. Josie, I know the Galaxy are doing awfully well, but you're not getting ahead of yourself yet, right? I'm Josie, and fortunately for our listeners, I've been offered the moon and the stars to remain level-headed, so no need to worry. Where have I heard that before? Oh, God, hmm. it sounds so familiar. Well, this is Two SoCal Gals, the podcast where we talk anything and everything soccer. Um, so out of this press conference with Jorge Vergara uh, earlier in the week came uh, the Moon and the Stars nugget, but also this one uh, that I offered Chicharito to Preki for one season and he declined it saying he wasn't good enough. Uh, is this quote believable? And how would this move change Chivas' fates? Yeah, I've heard a lot of conflicting reports about this over the years. I mean, this is something that's kind of been a persistent rumor, but there's been a variety of different versions of it and different reports and that sort of thing over the years. My inclination uh, is to believe it's it's probably either exaggerated or untrue. Um, you know, Vergara, he loves to bring up Chicharito in every single situation and occasion that he can. You know, because obviously he's he's the most successful player. He's, you know, his team has produced. Yeah, probably. You know, since he's since he's owned Chivas de Guadalajara. Um, you know, and I mean, he's a great player, and he's you know he seems to be a good character as well. So nothing wrong with that. But I think that coupled with the fact that Vergara definitely has a showman side to him. You know, I think he knew that quote was going to make waves, and you know, rather than talk about some. Uh, youth team player that didn't pan out and, and flamed out of the league, you know, bringing up Chicharito would have really perked some people up, and it, it certainly did. Um, but as for Chivas's fate, you know, supposing uh, it was, you know, it, it was true, uh, you know, my my thought is kind of who knows. I mean, Chivas was playing pretty well at the time, uh, you know, under Preki, and and you know they they were really kind of at their their peak for those few years that Bob Bradley and Preki were in charge. And, um, you know, frankly, at that time, Chicharito was kind of an unknown. Uh, he struggled for a while. And, you know, obviously it, there's been some uh, sort of profiles on him in the past where he's talked about how he's almost quit playing altogether. And it was, you know, around this time that, that uh, Regaro mentioned. So, I mean, I, I'm not a good one for sort of counterfactual histories, but Maybe it would be different, but you know, I'm, I'm guessing probably not. And I, I still remain a little bit skeptical about the uh, about the story itself. But uh, what do you think about the the press conference or about that quotation in particular? Well, you know, I kind of I went back and looked at uh, you know when Chicharito when he's on the youth team when he got called up to go to the heart, and there, there's like that one year overlap where Chivas was an actual thing in 2005, and Chicharito was on the youth team. And I could kind of see that as a possibility, like they were just going, like, well, we got this young guy and we're thinking of using him next year. Maybe you guys can give him some, you know, more intense uh, experience. Um, that's kind of plausible to me. Uh, and yeah, that first, those first few years, they were some, some good times in Chivas history and so I don't know if he really would have had that big of a like, oh my God, they're winning championships all of a sudden. But it also it it ties into something he was speaking about more exchange between uh, Guadalajara and the sister club in Los Angeles. Uh, how do you see that 
playing out over the next couple of years? I'm taking a wait and see see approach with it. I mean, I think if uh, you know if the players are decent players, I have no problem with it whatsoever. I'm realistic. I know that they're not going to ship you know the the biggest stars in Guadalajara over to Chivas USA. Of course, you know Marco Fabian is not coming. But I think if you know they they bring some of the players who may be on the fringe or who have had first team experience, but they're just not clicking in Guadalajara. They need a change of pace. You know, players like that, I, I have no absolutely no problem with them coming over if, if they're willing to do the work and to really get into MLS. Um, I'm concerned if they go the route of just picking a bunch of youth team players and, and assuming that they're going to be far superior to everybody else. Uh, again, that that was tried in 2005 and that didn't work out. Um, you know, so so for me, it's it's going to be a wait and see approach. I mean, I'm inclined to say it. Uh, you know, I'm uncomfortable with it, but. Truthfully, I mean, there's a ton of really good Mexican players out there. So, you know, if there's if if, if uh, Chivas USA get the right ones, you know, that's that's not a problem for me. Uh, but let's turn over to your team, who are actually playing real games right now, um, and significant ones at that. Uh, Bruce Arena said that after the Galaxy's three to one uh, win over San Jose, quote, "We've been the best team in the league since July, and I'm glad that nobody noticed." Is he right that the Galaxy were undervalued this season uh, since July? You know, I think it's been an odd year where San Jose was such a story that everyone was just kind of willing to... Cause it took, took a while for that story to develop. Everyone was kind of like, oh, well, maybe they'll fall off, maybe they'll be pretenders. And the fact that San Jose didn't fall off and kept getting results, it sort of kept any other story from really dominating uh, the MLS narrative, but he's not wrong. Uh, I, I went back and looked, and the Galaxy went 10-3-4 and uh, since July 1st, and no other club uh, did any better. The Galaxy were statistically the best uh, producing team uh, since July. Uh, the only teams that come even close uh, are the Chicago Fire, who actually had a really good second half, and DC United and uh, Sporting Kansas City all had nine victories. Um, but it also masks a different point, which is that the Galaxy had an excellent July. Like, they got four wins in July, and the only other team, coincidentally, uh, that got four wins in July was the Houston Dynamo. But, you know, the they got Omar Gonzalez back, and you have all these teams that are starting to deal with the mid-season injuries and slowing down, and the Galaxy just took off, and that's really what got them back in the competition, to, to be honest. I mean, the Galaxy were were in last at certain points in this year, and it was that July that sprung board them up, and without it, they probably don't make the playoffs, because that playoff order really didn't shift all that much. Um who knows, Vancouver would still probably uh, be Vancouver. But you know, that was sort of something that I hadn't really realized even. And um, so I do think that there was a bit of you know, lack of promoting how good the Galaxy were playing in the second half. Yeah. So my question to you is, I mean, at what point did you think I really think the Galaxy have a chance of competing for for the Cup this year. Uh, yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was no point. Just because 
I mean, the galaxy, they were getting back into the thick of things, and I started to kind of go, okay, okay, you know, as long as everyone stays healthy, things would be okay, and then Donovan got injured, and then J.J. Garza got injured, and the galaxy kind of had not that great uh, of an October, and finishing fourth and having to play the playing game, and San Jose was still, you know, San Jose. I don't want to say I had given up on the season, but I certainly wasn't expecting the possibility that is lying on the horizon that I will not talk about. Um, so, and to further not talk about it, we're going to move on to our next topic. Uh, Dom Kneer said uh, a little earlier in the playoffs, uh, throughout the U.S., I don't know if the Dynamo get enough credit, but maybe we should. Uh, you've been championing the Dynamo throughout this whole process, so I feel like I know your answer. But do the Dynamo get enough credit for what they've accomplished? Yeah, I'm going to go with no, but I, I mean, I, I think there's reasons behind it. I mean, for me and I think for other pundits, um, not that I'm putting myself in the same boat as all of them, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of us rated them highly to start the season. Obviously, they were the uh, MLS Cup finalists last year. But one of the things that surprised me was that they never had a, uh, the bump that comes with uh, opening a new stadium. Um, you know, they, they were good in form, but they weren't exceptional, you know, and, um, you know, that was sort of a, a puzzling to me a little bit. And then the fact that they struggled to remain in the playoff spots down the stretch and they only qualified as the final seed and it went down to the second to last week. Um, you know, in that time, the, the early season predictions pretty much evaporated and people kind of forgot like, well, you know, maybe they're just a mediocre team this year and, you know, they, they, their ceiling is a lot lower. Uh, in hindsight now, it seems like it's clear that they know how to play for the playoffs and basically what they do is, you know, playing kind of a rope-a-dope style where they, they do enough to get into the playoffs and then when it's a short tournament, uh, you know, Kinnear really figures out what to do and, um, you know, has drilled his team really well and they're, they're fully prepared for it. So, um, yeah, I don't think they get enough credit, but I think, you know, again, it, it seems like there's a pattern here that that's rather recurring uh, for this team. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we're we're looking at a team that's made, I believe, it's five of the last seven uh, conference finals, and you know, they just seem to have a way of turning it on once it gets to that point. Um, but I've been thinking about this uh, from a different angle, and that's just thinking about the fact that you know this is a displaced franchise. You know, they had two MLS Cups in San Jose, uh, and then you come to Houston, and they win two more, and have all this playoff success. I think if you look at it as one continuous franchise, you know they've had they've been the franchise of the 2000s, the way DC United was the the original powerhouse franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, just something about this group, they've been able to get things done, but because they were displaced, because the San Jose Earthquakes claimed those two cups for whatever reason, um, they don't they don't get that 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 credit that the Galaxy and DC have as being like, you know, MLS's I don't want to say dynamos, but I was in trouble <laughs> halfway into that sentence. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm looking at it. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't thought about that, and and certainly I think the the issue with sort of where those first San Jose Cups belong exactly, you know, does sort of obscure the the history a little bit. So that's a great point. 
Um, all right, so since 2008, MLS teams uh, that have lost the first leg of a two-legged series have only advanced 23.1% uh, of the time, so less than a quarter of the, of the time. Does D.C. United stand a chance to come back uh, against Houston? I don't think so. Uh, just because of... I mean, that's a pretty damning statistic. Uh, not a lot of teams have been able to get through these double-leg series, and being down two goals, it's not uh, impossible, as some national pundits would say. You know, 2-0 is not the greatest lead ever in soccer. But it's pretty good against a Houston team that just has looked pretty solid throughout the playoffs. Um, caveat being that DC has had some some big results this year. They've gotten some 4-0 victories and some 3-0 victories. So this is definitely a team that can do it. And they'll be at home. You know, they've got all week to prepare. They're kind of dinged up. So I'm not saying it's a huge chance, but th th there's a window. Um, there's a possibility, maybe. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Obviously, it doesn't seem uh, likely, but there's a chance. I mean, I think, I think if this was a tied series or if it was a one-goal series, obviously, you know, for either series, really, it would obviously be, you know, uh, more favorable for for the losing sides, but. Um, I mean, I think also the fact that Houston has already done this, um, you know, they did this against Sporting in the last round. They know exactly what they need to do. And while DC is going to be trying to attack as well, they don't have the same kind of uh, over eager um, style that Sporting does that, that tends to wear down opponents. And, you know, Houston was able to, to weather that in the, in the last round. So I think that they are in good shape to, to do the same against DC. I mean, it would really have to be a legendary game, probably for for DC to to really do it, and you know, Houston would have to probably be at much less than their best in order for it to really come together. Yeah, no, I, I wow, I think we got through that entire thing without agreeing, uh, disagreeing uh, once again. But um, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we will have Matt Doyle in the Los Analysts. So please stick around. Uh, and then we'll come back after that and play some games. Okay, and we are here on the podcast with Matt Doyle, MLS analyst. Um, we're going to be diving right into some MLS playoff questions. Uh, a lot of interesting storylines. Uh, you wrote, uh, ap I think, in between the Seattle RSL series about uh, Seattle kind of going center and then going out uh, in order to try and press forward, um, but that, that would leave them open to counters. Uh, and it left them open to a counter uh, against the Galaxy. Uh, what do you see Seattle trying to do going forward to press to catch up with the Galaxy but not leave themselves open for... Uh, a fourth and probably final blow to their chances. Honestly, if I, if I knew the answer to that, I uh, I would probably be a head coach somewhere in the world. It's just a, a team with the the vision both on and off the ball and the ability to execute at pace like the Galaxy. I don't know how you, 
I mean, unless you can just keep the ball for 90 minutes, I don't know how you stop that. I, I think the 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 uh, I want to say the second goal in in San Jose was one of the best counterattack goals I've ever seen, and you saw it unfold a hundred yards from goal. As soon as Simon Dawkins left that ball short, you knew the Galaxy were going to go down the other end, and John Bush was going to be picking that ball out of the net. And the same thing happened against Seattle. And uh, honestly, when Donovan and Keane are playing like this, when Wilhelm Sin, who you definitely don't want finishing one of the counters, but you definitely want him running off the ball, playing a part of it. You know, when Beckham is, is spraying the ball around, it's just it's just devastating. And I don't see how it gets done for Seattle here. All right, Matt, uh, switching to the other uh, playoff series, is I was wondering if there's something in particular that Houston is doing right tactically uh, this season in the playoffs. And in other words, is Dom Kinnear change something to reflect uh, you know, the success they've had in the, in the playoffs this year? Well, I, I think what, what he's done is uh, put a little more emphasis on dragging, well, first of all, punishing teams when they use their fullbacks to overlap. Uh, I actually did a little video on this for MLSsoccer.com. Uh, the idea is to get the opposing central defenders out of their comfort zone, make them defend either wider or higher up the pitch. Uh, Kalen Carr absolutely annihilated Aurelian Cullen on uh, Bruins goal against Sporting with that. And um, Giles Barnes went right around uh, Dejan Yakovic for another Will Bruin goal. So I, I think he's just done a, a really good job of drilling into his team something simple, which is when the opposition pushes numbers up, m- make their central defenders uncomfortable. Make them come out and, and defend wingers or make them uh, step up into the midfield and kick you and, and draw all those set pieces that, I mean, they haven't been particularly good on by Houston standards in, in this uh, postseason, but they, they've still scored a, a couple out of them. Uh, so it's just Dom being Dom. He, he just... He gets his teams to do the simple things right, and uh, that's why that's why they win at least one or two playoff series seemingly every year. All right, well, we've kind of concluded that Seattle uh, are a bit up against it. Uh, but do you see a way uh, for D.C. going forward to get back in their series? You know, if, if everybody was healthy, I would say yes, just because uh, – when you have guys like Nahar and Pontius and De Leon and De Rosario, you have guys who can win a one versus one battle. And once you start winning one versus one battles, uh, especially with the ball, you start stacking the odds in your favor. And even a team as disciplined as the Dynamo can get beat on talent. Uh, but with Pontius carrying a, go- a groin injury, Dero hasn't played in two months, Nahar is not available. I just I don't think it's possible for for DC, especially because you can't really count on the Dynamo to give up cheap restart goals. Uh, you know, if it was a team that had trouble defending restarts, they probably wouldn't be in in the playoffs in the first place. All right, I had a question about uh, my team, Chivas USA, who I know are not in the playoffs this year, but. Um... <laughs> Jorge Vergara had a had a quote this week that he said that uh, Johan Cruyff was uh, part of the team looking for a head coach for the team. Um, with the candidates candidates sounding like most are going to be coming from abroad. Um, basically, I mean, 
to put it bluntly, do you think that having uh, an MLS newbie potentially in charge uh, is a good strategy for the team? No, I think it would be a disaster. I, I think if you look at the, the history of, uh, of the league, the only uh, the most successful MLS, or we'll say U.S. soccer as a whole, the most successful newbie has been Hans Baca. And, and that should just crystallize the issue for you right there, uh, which is not to say it could never happen, but I don't think it will. Uh, and, and I mean, I, I don't know who, who Cruyff is going to turn to. I don't know if he's going to want to go to the Dutch school, uh, maybe bring Aaron Vinter back, which would be kind of funny. Uh, or, uh, you know, Hugo Sanchez just got fired. Uh, maybe Claudio Suarez. I mean, Claudio Suarez would make the most sense. But even that, I mean, the guy has never, you know, he's never been a head coach before, so you're always taking a risk. Uh, but, I I mean, one thing has been pretty clear since about 2007 or so is that you can rely on Chivas USA to usually make the wrong choice. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding out for uh, Guillermo Barros-Goloto, so, you know, maybe he'll be the, the shot candidate. That, that would actually be brilliant, and I think people would see Chivas in a new light, but uh, I'm not going to hold my breath for that one. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on and chatting with us for a little bit. Always a pleasure. Josie, are you nervous for the weekend? Um, I am calmly casual about this weekend. I've decided I'm just not going to even think about anything and just let it happen. That's but... probably the best way to, uh, to approach that sort of thing. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Matt. Take care. All right, it is time to play some Wordsmith. Uh, it's Apertura play Playoff Time in Liga MX down in Mexico. Uh, Santos Laguna missing the Apertura Playoffs is blank. I'm going to go with unsurprising. Um, in Mexico, it's not uncommon for champions to miss the playoffs next the, the following season. Um... I originally was going to say that, you know, I get the impression as well that the club is trying to shed salary kind of while they're still on top and they're, they've been incorporating more youth players this season. And that's obviously led to some, some, something of a dip in form, but I just found out before we started recording that uh, Benjamin Galindo, the the coach of Santos uh, has been fired. So maybe, maybe this is one of those situations that happens all too frequently in Mexico where, um, they have a good season, and then for some reason the the management decides to blow everything up. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, a little bit surprising as far as what's happening with them, but as far as not making the playoffs, I, I would say it's unsurprising. Well, well, I went with the exact opposite. I went with surprising uh, just because, you know, my perspective on Mexican soccer uh, and Santos uh you know, it comes through Hercules Gomez and like, oh, well, that's his club. And, oh, look, they won a championship. Oh, look, they're doing well in the uh, Champions League. So I had sort of built up uh, Santos in my mind. But what what you're saying makes sense that, you know, th- this does happen in Mexico a lot. Um, I-, I do see that uh, their away goal differential is much, much worse than their home goal differential. Um, so, you know, I, I know Mexico has just as much travel difficulties, uh, as we have here, uh, in MLS, uh, a lot of, 
losses for Santos down the stretch. You know, it wasn't like they missed it uh, horribly. You know, they were right in the mix, and it was uh, a matter of tiebreakers that kept them out. Um, so, you know, not terrible, but uh, still surprising. Yeah, I think it's, uh, for Hercules Gomez, I think there's a really high chance he's not going to be playing with them come January. Ooh, intrigue. All right, uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but Zlatan Ibrahimovic scored on a bicycle kick from about 30 yards out at a 45-degree angle in a friendly against England this week. This goal is best described as blank. I'm going to go with unifying. Um, you know, every once in a while, there will be a goal in some competition, in some tournament, uh, that gets on SportsCenter, it gets, gets on Facebook, gets all over Twitter, and it's that one time when all of your non-soccer friends will go, oh my god, did you see this? And you're, you're like, yeah, I watched it live, because I, I watch soccer, it's a thing that I do. <laughs> um, uh, and this is one of those times, you know, I'm getting, it's, it's all over my Facebook, and it's not just my soccer friends, and everyone's talking about how much skill, and oh my god, it's so great. Um, and you know, not to be a Debbie Downer, but when I watched that goal, I'm like, yeah, wow, that's a lot of skill. But it's also, he went up against the goalkeeper, the ball bounced away, he knew he had an empty net as long as he could do something, and he did something that, you know, very few people could pull off, and he needed that level of talent that he has to do it. But it's not like, oh my god, it was, it, he did that, and it beat a keeper, and it it won something, you know, it just... Anyway, but it's unifying. Yeah, you are W Downer. Um, I'm going <laughs> to say it's legendary. Um, like you, you know, I, I see tweets all the time that, that say, uh, you know, this is goal of the week. Check it out. This is goal of the year. Check it, you know, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I often look at these goals. Oh, yeah, great goal. You know, uh, that's, that's nice. But, yeah, I mean, this is one of those transcendent ones that, I mean, this is going to go on as, his all you know iconic goals you know when when people are recounting his career you know generations from now and this was burning my brain I I realize you know a lot of people that's been the main sort of critique of the goal is that uh, the goalkeeper was well out and he could not make a play on the on the on the shot but I I think just the skill that he had I mean obviously I think it would have been unlikely that he would have even tried a bicycle kick goal if uh, the goalkeeper was actually in the goal, because I'm sure he would have known that that would not have gone in. But the fact that he, he knew where the other players were around him, that he knew that the goalkeeper was out, that he tried something seemingly out of nothing, was, I mean, it's, it's, it was spectacular. It's one of those very few goals that even a jaded uh, soccer fan like myself, you know, is, is, is excited about. And it, it definitely lives up to the hype as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's a very nice goal, you know, it's very pretty, um, all of it, you know, it made for, for good cinema, I'm just saying that, you know, things like that happen on the training ground all the time, and if it were a, a real, actual, heated match that meant something, he probably doesn't even try it. Um, but, moving on from my negativity, over in Russia, the U.S. getting a 2-2 draw with out a few of its regulars is blank. I'm going to go with informative, and I'm going to be a little bit of a downer here. Um, you know, obviously, friendlies have to be taken with a grain of salt. 
And the more we see, in my opinion, the more that we see the defense screw up now before we're in the World Cup or before we're in you know, a major tournament or before we're in qualifying for the World Cup, the better the chance is that Klinsman is going to try and incorporate some better center backs Again, you know, obviously assuming that they're available. I mean, I realize that, you know, you can only work with the guys you have. But I would like to see a little more experimentation uh, with some of the players out there because I think it's obvious that, the, you know, putting the same defenders over and over again doesn't always work, and it's it's showing. I mean, this has been an, a problem for years and years for the, for the national team, and to see them screw up, in, you know, against Russia so comically once again was, you know, informative i will say that the comeback itself was nice and i think it you know it shows obviously the you know tenacity on the part of the team overall but i think the defensive performance is going to be way more useful in the long run wow um yeah no i i thought it was encouraging uh it was it wasn't supposed to be oh look at the u.s going over there and getting a great result this was an opportunity to work in some younger people uh, I believe Joshua got got his first cap. Um, we've got Mix Deskerund. I totally screwed that up because he's Norwegian, but he's on the team, so I have to try and figure out how to pronounce their Norwegian names now. <laughs> um, but you know, he gets the game tying goal uh, in stoppage time. You know, there were just enough of those kind of stories that it was like, all right, you know, that's what this was all about. It was just about getting some people in the mix seeing what they could do in uh, a less favorable situation, you know, you're going over in Russia, and it's not easy to, to get results like that, especially uh, in the cold time of year. So, you know, it's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, you know, I, I know where you're coming from, but, I, you know, one of my things is that this is very unpopular, but I think Carlos Bogenegger is way past it, and you know, I know that he's a great leader and everything, but I think the longer that he hangs on, the worse it is for the defense overall. I'm just saying. All right, uh, last one. Uh, the fact that there's a possibility for a, a Galaxy-Houston rematch in the MLS Cup, again in L.A., uh, is blank. It is joyous and magnificent. That's all <laughs> one word. <laughs> no, but... You know, getting that out of the way, I think from MLS's perspective, you know, we were looking at the possibility of San Jose hosting MLS Cup, and they had no idea where they were going to host it. They were planning for the off chance that Stanford had to play on that day, and it was a whole mess. Um, and importing sod, and I just don't even want to think about it anymore. Uh, and then Kansas City goes down, and we're looking at DC as a possible host, and RFK is a whole, and no one wants to play in RFK. Um, and for it to fall all the way down to LA, where you've already got uh, all the logistics in place, you, you just ran an MLS Cup, uh, just pull up the plan from last year and do it again. Uh, I think for MLS's perspective, it is their experiment going exactly the way it they hoped it would go in the first year. Next year, we can go into the tiny little town. But for the first year, it needs to be uh, someplace they've done it before. Uh, once again, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say it's disheartening. Um, 
I went to the I went to the MLS Cup uh, final last year, and maybe maybe in a few maybe in one of the next podcasts we can talk about our experiences at that last year, because I have some really interesting stories that I think are um, uh, pretty interesting. Comparing you know, considering I'm, I wasn't a fan of either team, but um, it's disheartening, obviously, because of my allegiances. But I think as far as the uh, Implications for the league, yeah, I mean, I think you're right as far as contingency plans go, as far as starting this new experiment, um, you know, of, of uh, having it go to the, you know, higher-seeded team. Yeah, this seems to be a nice safety net for, for the league, and, and that's good. I think, um, you know, to some extent, part of the reason that, you know, MLS is appealing, I think, to uh, certainly some people, not all people, is that, of the parity, right? That there's this chance that teams that are sort of at the bottom can come back within a few years. Um, and I think the fact that you're going to see two, potentially see two teams back at it once again for the second year in a row, it's a little bit disheartening as well to the rest of the league because it sort of says, you know, maybe we are starting to find some, you know, a new order where there's going to be some, you know, a handful of teams at the top and they're, they're going to just trade it off over and over again. Um, but, you know, there's another game to be played. And obviously, you know, with Houston back in it, they certainly would have something to play for once again. And obviously, L.A. would have something to play for as well. But it would be of a different accord. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with disheartening just to, just to mix it up for you. Oh, and, you know, even with my blue and gold heart, I can still see the point. You know, for a long time, the uh, knock against the D- uh, the L.A.s and the New Yorks was like, oh, well, the, the DP experiment doesn't work. You can't get a full roster. You have to sacrifice in too many areas. Uh, and now to have L.A. Uh, doing, you know, winning MLS Cup and being right back in the thick of it, it's sort of like, oh, well, is this the way MLS is going our team is going to have to start spending or get left behind um but you know let's see what see what happens things still need to shake out um and we will be back next week to tell you all about that shake up um probably not on Thursday since it is Thanksgiving but we'll work that out on our own time for right now we're just gonna say goodbye um I am Josie and you can find me at Rock and Josie on Twitter uh, Alicia, where can we find you? At Soccer Musings on Twitter. All right. Well, we look forward to keeping the conversation going with you guys. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>